Welcome back to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal, showcasing stories from outstanding business people in Montreal and across Quebec, uh, proudly sponsored by FL Montreal. My name is Dan Delmar, and with us is Ernie Furt from FL, sitting in for Mike Newton. It's been busy at FL, Ernie, and Mike will be back soon, but I'm glad to have you with me. Ah, it's a pleasure to be here. Now, on the program today, we're going to talk about a Montreal classic, really, a business that went away for a little bit and came back. Cameo, the furniture company, is back, and we'll speak to the new owner of Cameo, Natalie Majerian, and she'll be on the way. Plus, we'll talk about family businesses and estates and trusts, and especially for couples in business. Some stuff to watch out for. Sarah Halleckman of FL going to give us some advice on that later in the program. But first, as usual, let's begin with our current affairs segment. And uh, Ernie, I want to start by talking about uh, an HR issue. That is the uh, the digital nomad. More and more employees now, of course, want to work remotely, and some really don't even want to stay at home. They want to sort of work remotely and be on the road. Um, do you have any employees like that? And is that sort of a sustainable way to, uh, uh, to do most business? Right now, you need to hire who you can hire. And if you're, if you're finding good people that are digital nomads, that's fine. You just have to know where they are to a certain extent. They can, uh, they can be in Canada. They can be in the United States. And you just have to watch your, your tax rules with respect to stuff like that because certain countries have visas, special visas for these digital nomads. Mexico, Portugal, Norway, Germany have those visas. The U.S. doesn't necessarily have those visas. And if you, uh, as a Canadian company, are hiring a U.S. person, you got to take a look and determine if you have a nexus in the U.S. or in a, in a state in the U.S., and uh, that could cause you a filing requirement in the United States. So you just have to know where these people are, hire the best and the brightest, and uh, know what you're up against with rules in various countries or various states in the United States. Now, for instance, uh, you know, my wife and I, we both have partially virtual businesses and we always fantasize, you know, what if we could just go to a tropical location for a month or a year? It's, it's not going to happen. It doesn't seem feasible. But if we were to do that hypothetically, what are the implications for, for taxes there? Do we have to pay taxes locally and in Canada? You're still going to be a resident of Canada at the end of the day. So you're going to pay your your taxes to Canada if you are uh, a temporarily in another location kind of on vacation and still working at the same time you're not going to build enough ties to that country uh in order to be uh forced into the taxation system but you should always ask those questions kind of before you do it as opposed to well you know dear accountant i just did this uh, what do you think okay it's always better you know to announce prevention is always worth a pound of cure in whatever you do but in a in a, in a very temporary situation i i'm going to i'm going to be a snowbird and i'm going to be in florida for for three months and you still want to record stuff and, and you want to do your podcast and whatever i don't see a problem with it Okay, let's move to uh, some macro issues. This from Fast Company right now. Six trends shaping the global supply chain in 2023. I know we talk a lot about supply chain, but it is incredibly important for uh, the future of, of business, the cost of everything right now. So here are some notes from Fast Company. Uh, government intervention is going to remain a possibility throughout the world. Um, last year's shortages could transform into next year's oversupply, so catching up to that, that backlog. The labor market is not expected to improve. There may be a surplus now of, of cargo uh, on in the in the future. Uh, climate change is going to pose some additional problems. 
Um, so some tightening, uh, I think, is the, the takeaway here. But overall, over the long term, uh, Ernie, uh, with the recession underway, the theory is that uh, things are going to unclog fairly quickly. Things will unclog because, you know, you have a tendency of, okay, all of a sudden we're, we're short something, so we better order it real quick. And the problem is getting it. So sometimes you order it quickly, but you can't get it as quickly as you want it. You know, kind of like in the middle of the pandemic, everybody was short on on, uh, on toilet paper and you had certain companies manufacturing toilet paper day and night and there was no more shortage. But that's done locally. But sometimes you have to get stuff from overseas and that takes a while to, to, to manufacture. It takes a while to get across the, the across to Canada uh, and it it can be problematic. So that's why they're, they're saying last year shortages could transform into next year's oversupply and people have a tendency oh there's no shipping there's no shipping containers there's no oh, we're going to make more ships and we're going to make more containers so eventually there's going to be a glut so the the cost of shipping may be reduced over the course of time if there's a glut of ships and or containers at the end of the day and and the labor force is always something that is in a state of flux. You have to watch what's going on in different countries. Certain countries have higher restrictions when it comes to, to COVID infections, and China has very, very high restrictions. So you have to watch out for that and keep your finger on the pulse of the world because today, in today's economy, it's world-based. It's not only locally based. And especially if you're sourcing materials, goods, services outside the country, know what's going on in those countries. Let's talk about manufacturing here in Quebec and what Quebecers uh, could expect as uh, the economy sort of goes through a transition period. In uh, Les Affaires, an interesting column from Louis J. Duhamel, uh, eight things that um, Quebec manufacturers should do as they navigate uh, the changing world uh, in uh, the coming year. So one thing is to, wa to watch for is inflation, um, protectionism across uh, the, the planet in terms of uh, climate change. And uh, supply chain, obviously a big issue there. A lot of uncertainty, they say. And here in Quebec in particular, uh, we have the manpower shortage. And that is uh, going to be a big part of the challenges going forward. They also mentioned cybersecurity, uh, the, the columnist does. And uh, manpower, I think, really dominating specifically what Quebec manufacturers are thinking about right now, Ernie. Well, Quebec manufacturers have to look and get their stuff done. And look towards whatever labor force is out there. Try to secure them, and say, "Listen, it's this is we're a Quebec business. We want to maintain our Quebec presence. As such, we need Quebec people. So appeal to their sense of of being a Quebecer uh, to get those people in there." Another important thing is that cybersecurity, because cybersecurity is important every day, and 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 it's now being targeted towards the the small medium sized enterprises where they're being attacked, cyber attacked. And we have stuff in our office where they fake a cyber attack on us and we have to pass a test. And if we get an email that's a phishing scam or whatever and we click on it, we have to do like a 45-minute session in the penalty box and, and be busy doing research and looking at stuff. So you really got to watch where your emails are coming in from and make sure you don't click on stupidity. There's a lot of people that do that just willy-nilly and click. So you can't do that. You got you got to be smarter. You, you know, you you, well, you have to watch your climate footprint too, you know, with respect to 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 the to, to what you're doing and if you're recycling, if you're not recycling because Gen Z and Gen Y 
uh, employees will look towards that and says, well, you know, what are you doing to help the environment? Are you doing anything? And if you're not, they may look elsewhere for their employment. Can I just go back to the to the click test? How many times did you fail the click test? Once. Oh, I, once. Okay. I, I only I only <laughs> failed the click test once, and I was really upset. Um, one last thing now. Uh, also very Quebec centric. You mentioned climate change and the importance uh, to to actually show some values for your company. Um, this is from Inc.com. Uh, simple advice to show your customers you're serious about sustainability, and people forget, but often it comes really down to just a couple of things. Packaging. Just what are you using to put your product in? You know, it's 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 really that simple. Even if it's just for transport, bags, plastic bags, stuff like that, uh, now being banned in Montreal. The other is recycled materials. Are the materials you're using around your office, around your workplace, all recycled down to the toilet paper even? You know, little things like that. Um, they actually, uh, the article argues, create a better customer experience because when people see those recycled materials, the little logo across the office, you know, it, it does show in even in just a little way that you're you're helping. People have to understand, oh, we're going to have a zero carbon footprint. Nobody knows what that means. They have no clue. OK, what they understand is recycling uh, products used in uh, the manufacturing process. They understand uh, more environmentally friendly packaging. They understand less packaging so they can see that stuff that people can actually see and understand is important for them. And, and you know all all the buzzwords that are out there that 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 people like to put on their websites, you know, mean something. But at the end of the day, action means something. So if you're doing that kind of stuff that that people can uh, actually see and appreciate and understand, it, it that that's good for you and good for your business. This program is recorded uh, with hydroelectricity, so uh, it, it doesn't have a carbon footprint or not much of one anyway. I think. I believe so, but that's not my specialty. That's mostly the opinions that leave the footprint, I think, the carbon footprint. Yes, there's a lot of hot air that leaves the foot. It leaves a carbon footprint, apparently. And uh, let's get to our guest, a brand that's very familiar to Montrealers. Went away for a little bit and now is back with a vengeance. And the uh, head of the new Cameo collection is Natalie Majerian. Natalie, welcome to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal. Hi. So tell us first, uh, quite simply, for those that don't know, what is Cameo? So Cameo um, Collection is a newer name, it used to be called Cameo Convertibles. And the company was established in 1960, so it's quite a few years old. And they used to be specialists in sofa beds. So they used to manufacture in Quebec, in Montreal, sofa beds and also sofas, but they were well known for their very comfortable hide-a-beds or convertibles, as they used to call it. And the company remained Cameo Convertibles for many, many years up until 2013. Okay, and now let pick it up from here. So unfortunately, uh, they they had to restructure, I guess. Uh, they, they went into a bankruptcy situation and you came in. And what is the company today? So today we've renamed the company Cameo Collection because we wanted to keep the the sofa beds and the convertibles, but we wanted to add much more to the company. So we didn't want to leave it as just a sofa and sofa bed manufacturing company. We turned it more into a furniture showroom, still producing the same comfortable sofas and the sofa beds and sectionals and beds and anything that's upholstered is made in-house in our factory in the back adjacent to our showroom. So we've kept that made to measure and that same uh, quality furniture with the strong kiln dried wood that 
would last for years and years and years and also ready to reupholster after 30 or 40 years when the fabric starts to wear off. So in terms of reupholstering, you only reupholster your own stuff, I would assume. Well, we do a little bit of others as well, but we do like to keep our own brand as a reupholstery. But because we are upholsters, we are able to diversify and do a lot more. So we have started doing a lot more than just our own brands. So clearly you're in, uh, I, I suppose, uh, in the premium market because uh, the custom upholstery uh, is, uh, uh, I assume, a premium product. Do you have people in the back manufacturing this uh, A to Z uh, in, in Montreal? Yes, we do A to Z. So we do the wood frames. We customize the sizes so clients could choose their own depths. They could use, choose their own lengths, their own sizes. So sectionals can be done with the size that fits their room and their space based on their needs. And then we have the fabrics that are chosen in our uh, gallery. We have our cutters. We have our sewers. We have the guys that do the springing. We have the upholsters, the cushion stuffers. Everything is done A to Z in-house for not only just this showroom, but we also have a second showroom. So we do the same manufacturing in one location for both our stores. Now, um, personally, I don't know about you, Ernie, but I remember there were a few of my family members who always had Cameo. They swore by Cameo and really loved the brand. Tell us about why you chose this as your business and what what you saw in, in that brand. So it's an interesting story because uh, I used to work in a family business for my parents in lighting for 20 somewhat years that happened to be the building right next door to Cameo. So I've known the brand, I've known the company, I've known the business, and it's always been so close to home. And when we found out that the company was closing, because many designers would come and knock on our door to find out what's going on with the business, I inquired about it. And I'm also married to uh, my husband, who is a third generation in the um, furniture business. So he used to be in the furniture manufacturing many, many years ago. Um, and decided that he would be interested to dive back in to this business. So he said, we would get together, we I'll do the manufacturing, you'll do the admin, the sales, the design, all that type of work. And as a team, we'll revamp this company and grow it and bring it up to today's trends. When you're a couple in business, there's, I'm sure there's some challenges that you're facing. Oh, but yes, there is. <laughs> there's There could be a lot of challenges as a couple because we end up bringing a lot of the business home. So we come home and we talk about it. At work, we talk about it. So we seem to be living cameo day and night at home, at work. However, because we are divided in two different divisions, one being the manufacturing and one being the showrooms, we do have each our own jobs. So we've kept it very professional in the sense that I do not get involved in the manufacturing and he does not get involved in the administration. So we have kept it two different departments, and it seems to be working like a charm for us. As long as the manufacturing is good, you're going to be happy. Absolutely. Well, they're both tied in equally because as a sales department in the front, working with so many designers and working with so many clients, we still do need to have a link in the back and need to be communicating in the back. So the fact that we work together so well I'm able to communicate easily in the back to make sure that everything is done properly based on all our clients' needs in the front. And Natalie, tell me about uh, your customers. Who are you selling to? And is it mostly within Canada? So 
it's it's funny you say because you were talking about how so many of your family members had cameos. So we hear it all the time when clients walk in, they say, my mother had a cameo, my grandmother had a cameo, my aunt had a cameo, and they were so comfortable. So we came back to see if we can get a cameo. So there is so many generations of cameo owners and their younger generation, the new generations are coming back today to, to keep purchasing this product because it was so well known for its quality, for its style, that those who know the product want the product. So we have a lot of those that keep coming back because they do know the product. And we have a lot of designers. So the designers come in, they bring new clients or existing clients, and they are the ones that come into our showroom and take over the floor and sell to their clients what they need customized for their spaces. Uh, so basically, we have two different clients. We have our our designers and we have walk-ins. We have new clients coming in from social media, from our website, from our advertising. So the client space is growing, which is a good thing. And Natalie, as you look to growth, though, where, where are you looking for, for new markets? Are you looking down south of the States? So we do have a lot of clients down south in the States. And for now, what we've been doing is making products for clients that live in Montreal that have places either in Florida or other places and even in Canada that come back to us and say we want to buy furniture for our second home. So we started off that way and the business is growing in the uh, export division. So being that being said, every time we do go, we get new clients in Florida or in New York. We also do have a um, a showroom that we share with a, another family member in Soho, New York, that does display our products and does sell our products. So New York is also expanding. I'd like to dig in a bit to the history of Cameo. Um, when was it founded? And tell me a bit about uh, those who founded it, because despite the fact that there was a bankruptcy at the end, I mean, we have to look back at this business as, as one that was immensely successful. And uh, and the brand is one that's, as, as we mentioned, uh, brings about great memories in, in us. Yeah, so... Cameo was founded in 1960 by um, a gentleman named Richard Phelis. And unfortunately, he is no longer with us anymore. He passed many years ago. And I believe he was the heart and soul of that business. So when he created this business and grew the business, and he also had many other stores and also in the U.S. had uh, different showrooms as well, uh, he expanded. But when he did pass, the family did not continue the business and therefore it was more of a forced bankruptcy as opposed to a bankruptcy based on a, a less of a demand or a product that is no longer good. From start to finish, um, how long was Cameo offline before you got it back online? Oh, it was very, very quick. So it was offline, I would say in April of 2013, and we brought it back in by August 1st of 2013. Wow. That's great. What about the employees? Um, how uh, did, did a lot of them stay stay over as well? Yes, a lot of the employees stayed over. Um, we have employees that have been there for uh, one employee in particular who's been there for 48 years, which is quite impressive. And he knows our client base. He knows the business from inside out. And it was great because he was a good guide for us when we first purchased the company. Um, other employees also stayed on. There was a few that are still from the original, but as um, they retire, they move on and uh, new employees came in and were trained by a lot of the old employees. So we were very lucky in that sense uh, that we had staff that followed us and wanted to stay loyal to the company because they were there for so many years and have trained many other people. We're about 25 employees in total right now in the company. 
And uh, Natalie, when you're taking over such a, an iconic brand, tell me about the pressure at first. Um, how did you deal with the pressure? Did you, uh, how, what kind of efforts did you make to, to live up to the brand? Honestly, the pressure was immense in the beginning, not knowing what I'm doing, what kind of business I'm getting myself involved in, dealing with a company that was closed without previous notice. It was just uh, crazy. I wanted to throw in the towel a few times in the beginning few weeks, but I got myself together along with my partner, my husband, who was very strong, very motivated, very willing and kept telling me we could do this, we could do this. And sure enough, within a few weeks, we were able to do this. And we basically had to pick up a lot of the the leftovers that were left when the company just instantly closed. So we had to deal with a lot of clients' orders that were outstanding, that were not delivered, that deposits were made, and we did deliver every single order and, you know, did not let any client lose any money. Uh, If there was any deposits that were no longer showing, but were paid, we were able to pick up those pieces and deliver them at a lot of the sofas were delivered at free of charge, just to keep the client happy and not to feel the pressure of the change in the rollover of a new owner. Let's um, dig into some backroom questions now. I'm curious about your experience uh, during uh, what could be described as the great supply chain crisis of uh, the 2020s. Um, because you manufacture locally, a lot of products, your, your materials are Canadian. Have you sheltered yourself a little bit from that supply chain problem? Well, the supply chain problem seems to be everywhere right now in the world. And us being local made things a little bit easier because we didn't have containers to import. We didn't have high costs of things to import. So we kept working with the same suppliers that we normally work with that were local in Quebec. Um, Yes, we did run in, obviously, to many different challenges, but it wasn't a huge problem because we were so small, like our lead times were so little, we were delivering things within three to four weeks. All we did was extend our our lead times from three to four weeks to six to eight, or sometimes eight to 12, depending on what the problem was. Our bigger problems were getting mattresses in time, getting mechanisms for our hide beds in time. Uh, Fabrics were delayed a little bit, but Some people either reselected or uh, waited for the fabrics to come in. But generally speaking, we didn't have that big of a problem with the supply chain. And we managed to to cover up as much as we could by um, improvising and keeping also loyalty to our suppliers where we are good clients and we do buy a lot. So they, they, you know, pushed us first when it came to deliveries. So I noticed that that it's pretty much every room in the house with the exception of one, the kitchen. Okay, yes. there's nothing for the kitchen in there. Oh, there is. There is. There is. Oh, yeah. Like, yes, what, what, what do you have for the kitchen? So for the kitchen, we are very big now on banquettes. So we do custom banquettes for kitchens. We do uh, dinette chairs for kitchens and um, all kinds of cushions and, and really more the chairs and the banquettes becoming a very big thing. Plus, because we are also expanded from upholstery to uh, furniture as well, we do have tables, uh, kitchen dinette tables that we do very well with. That's very interesting. I also noticed in the catalog, you have a bunch of first names of people. Are these all your friends? Um, Some of them are family members. Some of them are friends. Some of them are people who've inspired us in the past. So um, 
we've named things after it's actually interesting we have named things after people that are either you know some great clients that have created those pieces or we just wanted to keep on a little bit of the old names from the old cameo as well so what is the secret behind the actual couches you know why uh, are so many people obsessed with them i guess it's pride craftsmanship um tell me more about the materials what goes into the product a lot of heavy wood. So our structures are made out of kiln dried um, maple or birch wood. So our frames have no plywood. They have no staples. It's all uh, countersink screws, solid maple wood or birch wood. Usually we use maple though. The frames are made solid. You can throw this off of a balcony and it will not break. So right there, you can already feel the quality of the, the piece because of its structure. That's where it's the foundation. Also, the springs that we use, the way that uh, we use foams that are high density. So the density of the foam makes a big difference in the comfort. Also, the longevity of the foam. So I don't know if you've seen sofas that after a few years, they start caving in. Well, because of the density of the foam is not as, as high as the ones that we use. So our foams do last a lot longer than most. And that also helps in pro, you know, the longevity of the sofa and the comfort of the sofa. You know, I like the motto, made for you to love, to last, and to live on, and to throw out of your balcony if you really need to. <laughs> we'll add that in the next time. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look to the future quickly, Natalie. Where's this company going? And uh, any tease for an interesting product coming up? Uh, any innovations at work at the back of Cameo there? Well, the, I mean, the, we want to grow the business, uh, you know, sales-wise, that's for sure. Um, we don't want to just stay in... Um, residential we want to grow it into hospitality so we have done a couple of little projects where we've done some small boutique hotels where we've provided some of the furniture for the hotels um, lobbies of residences lobbies of buildings lobbies of of hotels also are very interesting because of the product being so sturdy and so such quality it could last a lot longer in high traffic areas so that's somewhere where we would like to move forward to growing it into a commercial as opposed to just residential, even restaurants, um, you know, being that we make those kitchen banquettes, we could do banquettes for restaurants as well, along with the chairs, anything that's upholstered. So that is something that we'd like to, to move into for the future as opposed to just staying in residential. And like we discussed in the before, I'd like to go get out of also just local and, and bring it also down south. What's your argument for quality? I mean, these days, you know, it's so easy to pick up uh, very quickly assembled furniture for little, low prices online, delivered the next day. You know, we're, we're a very disposable society. What's, what's your argument for, for the good stuff? Well, the good stuff needs to be made well. If it's made well, um, it, it will last a lot longer. And like I said, we do use the best of the materials, whether it's the fabric that we use, whether it's the wood, um, the inside um, springs all play a big role. The foam pays a big role. So, you know, you get what you pay for. I think that would be the best way to describe it. So, um, you know, you can customize with us, which is also something that uh, makes, makes things more towards based on your needs. And you're buying quality that is made in Quebec and it's not something that is imported. Um, what, lastly, what's, what's the top couch trend right now? What should we be looking for in terms of uh, innovative couches? So now people are starting more with these curving couches and these 
um, before in the past, it used to be all these rolled arms. And then from the rolled arms, we went to the square. The squares are still very trendy and everyone likes that modern look. But now it's becoming more that very low, very deep and curvy sofas and sectionals that are a little bit more uh, design inspired. I was going to say almost bed-like. I feel like they're turning into half beds now, which and I like it. I'm not complaining. Yes, we have sectionals that are so deep that you could just sleep on it. It's like sleeping on a mattress. And now the new trends are also a lot of memory foam. So like the mattresses that have that memory foam, our seats are made out of those memory foams. So if those who are used to using uh, feather and down inserts that don't want to have the maintenance of puffing up the, the seats all the time, memory foam is the way to go because you'll sit on it and you'll get that comfort of sinking in, but then it'll come back into its normal shape and you don't have to worry about main maintenance. Amazing. So Natalie, you're going to stick around, please. We're going to have your one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs in a moment. And uh, first, though, we're going to check in with our expert at FL, Sarah Halleckman. She is uh, in charge of estates and trusts at FL. And we'll talk about concerns for couples in business together, not just Natalie, just pretty much anyone. Sarah, welcome back. Thank you. Nice to see you all. <laughs> And Ernie, of course, the first thing, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, uh, the most important piece of advice is to have a will and estate plan if you are in business with your family, of course. Uh, of course, but we'll get into that with Sarah. You know, there's a lot of concerns, you know, when you're dealing in a couple environment where your husband and wife, significant other, uh, whatever it may be, and you have to deal with this and you have to kind of plan for it. And you don't want to plan for these things, but you're kind of forced into it. And Sarah, I just want to start with a question. What happens if a, one of your partners become incapacitated? So um, generally speaking, nobody has the right to act on your behalf unless you've granted them that power. So if your spouse who happens to be your business partner becomes incapacitated and they haven't signed a power of attorney, um, which we call a mandate in Quebec, um, you generally have no rights until a court application is made. So a court application needs to be made for someone to manage finances, manage their personal affairs. And even once that's granted, the powers will be monitored by the court, which is why it's so important to have a mandate in place beforehand, um, obviously for anybody, but even more so if you are a business owner and there is a concern of, you know, what happens to the business, what happens to business decision making in the case of a temporary or a permanent uh, state of incapacity. Yeah, it's very important that you do this before, because by the time the courts will get around to making a decision, you're going to have a lot more problems in your business than you want at the end of the day. Um, so we've dealt with incapacity. So it's important to, to get that incapacity mandate beforehand. What if, God forbid, what are the spouse's rights in if somebody dies, if their partner dies? So there, there's actually a ton of misconception around this, especially in Quebec specifically when there is no will in place. So if somebody passes away, they have a will, uh, everything will be outlined, you know, who their liquidator will be, uh, what their partner, what their children, their family members, charities, whoever it may be, are set to inherit. That's all laid out in a will. Uh, the issue really tends to be when there's no will prepared. The common misconception is that a lot of people assume that their spouse will just inherit everything automatically. Um, and that is Definitely not the case in Quebec. Provincial jurisdiction uh, obviously varies province to province, so we're, we're going to talk about Quebec. But what's most important to consider also in Quebec is there's a huge distinction between married couples and common law partners. So, you know, in this instance, are we talking about a couple that's common law, that's not in a civil union, that's not married? Um, 
for inheritance purposes in Quebec, common law partners, uh, or we call them de facto couples, don't have any property rights. So no matter how long they've lived together, that means that you know if your common law partner dies without a will, you have no right to inherit. The people who are going to inherit are based on the interstate laws in Quebec. Um, so there are other family members, potentially their parents, their siblings, their siblings' children. Um, there's a whole kind of hierarchy as to how that works. So without a will, a common law partner is getting nothing. So you want to avoid not having this will. You have to have a will to make sure that your wishes come true at the end of the day, because you don't want to necessarily become a partner with your uh, with your in-laws or with your sister-in-law or brother-in-law or whatever that is at the end of the day. So it's kind of important that this will be done and drafted uh, as early as possible, because a will is, it, it, it's a legal document and it's something that can change. So Absolutely. do it first, get her done, and, and then you won't have any issues at that at that point in time, uh, or you'll have less of them. You know, how, how could these situations impact the business owner? Like we said, I mean, you don't want to end up in business with somebody who's not um, your business partner. So, you know, in the case of incapacity, in the case of somebody not being able to sign off on things, authorize things, think of all the lost time, the lost revenues, um, waiting for that authorization, you know, just the potential for things to really come to a standstill as a business owner if if those things aren't in place. So it is, it's so important for a business owner to have named um, somebody to step in, whether that's their spouse, whether that's um, a trusted advisor, whoever it may be, somebody to step in in the case that um, they're not able to act. Um, and the same thing for a will, you know, even we talked, we were talking about common law partners, even if you are married and you have no will, the spouse is still not inheriting 100% based on the interstate laws in Quebec. So there's always the risk that other people are going to be in the picture and things just aren't going to go as planned. And that, you know, that's obviously so much more heightened when we're talking about business operations. Absolutely. that it, it, It's so important. Uh, but now we have to make some suggestions for the business owners and they should like take out their pens and pencils or their iPads and take some notes because it's important. What would be your suggestions for the business owners? For any adult, especially a business owner, uh, a will and a mandate is so crucial. Like you said, it's not set in stone. It's not forever, but there's got to be a starting point. There has to be something in writing so that if something unexpected happens tomorrow, um, everything doesn't just stop. Yeah. Um, so the, the best thing is to really have a will and a mandate. And um, for business owners as well, you know, there should be a shareholder agreement in place. What happens upon death or incapacity should be laid out in that shareholder agreement and it should kind of match that will. Everybody should be on the same page of what happens. You know, just like you plan for different changes in your business, you have to plan for different changes in your ownership of your business and okay. the evolution of that. And people have a terrible tendency to delay things that they don't want to deal with, one of which is a will, another one of which is a mandate of incapacity, but both can be achieved at the same time when you go see a notary or lawyer who will help you prepare this in the way that you want. Exactly. Yeah. And it can it can all be done at once. It can be done as a starting point. Um, and we always actually recommend, you know, anytime there's a major life change, it should be revisited, a birth, a death, a marriage, divorce acquiring a business, selling a business, you know, those are all good triggers to reevaluate, you know, what what's laid out in these documents and is it still pertinent? Does it still, you know, align with what I would like to happen? And it doesn't always mean that we have to, you know, scrap it all and start from scratch again. 
Um, sometimes it's just a matter of amending something and that can be super simple, but uh, any major life event, these, these things should really be evaluated. Sarah, you're mentioning the common law couple situation in Quebec and I, I've worked for a, a family law firm for you know over eight years now and doing their communications and the following scenario happens a lot. A spouse, man or woman, goes to work for the family business, but because it's Quebec, a lot of people aren't married. They could be there for 5, 10, 15 years. They're part of the family. They're part of the culture. They may be running operations. Something happens with the marriage, and then all of that, it just disappears. And it sounds crazy and unfair, but that's a real scenario that happens a lot in Quebec, and, and entrepreneurs should be prepared for that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that that kind of scenario happens all the time. And, and really, this, there's this common misconception in Quebec that... Um, common law partners are protected and you know obviously in eric versus lola it's the case that's that's referenced all the time in terms of common law partners rights um upon a breakdown of a marriage and really there was no entitlement um there's always the option for um a common law common law partners to enter into a civil union and then for kind of family law issues in quebec they're treated as a married couple so that can simplify a lot of things and then really you know having having the proper conversations and the proper setup and making sure there's a will and making sure that um, there are no surprises is really the best thing. You know, any kind of planning is, is ideal. It was it was my client that was uh, Lola's lawyer, in fact. And uh, the lesson that, that I learned from that case is that equality uh, in terms of business affairs doesn't exist in, in a really total way in, uh, in Quebec. And uh, there's still some work to be done. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's it's so important for everybody to protect themselves as best as possible. I mean, you know, that we can, there's the whole conversation of marriage contracts and agreements, and we won't get into that today, but really, you know, I think the best mantra is plan for the worst and expect the, and hope for the best, basically. And planning is essential. Absolutely. Sarah Halleckman, Estates and Trust at FL Montreal. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you. And as we come to the end of our show, let's ask our entrepreneur, Natalie Majerian of Cameo Collection, for her one piece of advice for inspiring entrepreneurs. Natalie. So my advice to all new entrepreneurs would be, uh, be ready for today's market. Follow the trends. Follow to see what your competition is doing. Uh, see if there's a demand for your business. Make sure that, that you're offering something that's a little bit different than others. Um, whether you're starting a new business or buying an existing business or a business that comes out of bankruptcy, make sure that you have the right amount of capital to get started, not to cut any corners, hire the right professionals necessary so that you can, um, you know, get the right advertising in place, uh, promote the new business, um, make sure you have a good website, social media is on point. Um, the website is, is the key to getting this, the business out there. And last but not least, make sure you do what you love. You need to be passionate about what you're doing. You need to be on top of your business. You need to give your 200% to your clients. Being on top of your business is the key to success. Natalie Majerian, Cameo Collection. Thanks so much, Natalie. Extremely on point. Clearly someone very passionate about her business. And um, Ernie, I have to say, you know, we said the same thing with Boostan a few weeks ago. But, you know, when you have a powerful brand that is so connected to people's everyday lives, Sky's the limit. Absolutely, you just you got to work the brand and, and and be the brand, which is effectively what Natalie seems to be doing, which is great. Thank you. Good luck, Natalie. Thank you for having me. You're welcome.
A reminder, you can subscribe to Inspiring Entrepreneurs Montreal as a podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, or your favorite platform. And you can also log on to the website, inspiringentrepreneursmtl.com, for hundreds of local entrepreneur profiles from the last 14 years. See you back here next week. This has been a production of TNKR Media. Good talk.